Big issues, big names. An interview every month. It's not that simple. A podcast from Fundação Francisco Manuel dos Santos. Hello and welcome to another episode of It's Not That Simple. Great to have you on board for another high-level conversation. Today's topic is innovation and our star guest is Niron Hashai. He's an Israeli business scholar. He's currently professor of strategy and international business and the dean of the Arizan School of Business at the Reichman University in Tel Aviv. Hashai has done a lot of work in the areas of multinational corporations, innovation, diversification, and his, worst, his work has been published in a variety of top management and business journals. He has also worked with uh, international universities around the world, such as the Stern School of Business, NYU, Oxford University, and the Alliance Manchester Business School as well. Niran, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Let's start off with the simple question. Please tell us, according to you, how you would define innovation in your area of work. So for me, innovation is something that either adds value to the products or services that the company is uh, 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 producing and when I say adds value, it means that uh, customers are, merely, I mean, are willing to pay more for uh, the product or service because of something that is embedded in them. It can also be something that cuts or reduces the costs of these companies uh, by making them more efficient. And I think uh, in this uh, uh, space where innovation can either uh, lead customers to pay more for the pro for the company's products or services, or reduce the company's uh, cost base, uh, there lies the true value of uh, innovation. And this is essentially what companies should be having in mind when they are thinking about being more innovative. It, it shouldn't be innovation for the, the sake of innovation. Okay, so I would like you to give us maybe some good examples of companies that have been able to innovate and maybe some not so good examples of companies that haven't been able to innovate and therefore uh, paid the price, so to speak, in the market. Yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, we have uh, so many uh, cases uh, throughout history. Maybe, uh, you know, uh, a classic example, all of us uh, use, uh, you know, the smartphone, so... Uh, Apple was uh, uh, very good, or Steve Jobs in 2007, introducing uh, the iPhone. Uh, this was something that was not so clear in the beginning, but uh, you know now it's clear to everyone that it created so much utility. You know, we, I, we cannot imagine our life without this uh, device. True. It's everything. Uh, and Google followed them uh, shortly after with uh, you know the Android uh, operating system. In contrast, companies like uh, Nokia or BlackBerry Rim sort of thought of it as something that customers will not really value, will not really be willing to pay for. And, uh, you know, uh, I remember the funny um, headline in the newspaper in 2011 or something when uh, BlackBerry Rim came with their first smartphone. Nice of you to remember. So, and, you know, they're out of the market. And uh, I think this is a classic example. It's funny when you talk about BlackBerry because I think I still miss it sometimes because to, 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 speed, to speed the text, uh, uh, sometimes it was still uh, great to have those little keys. But anyway, I think so much of the process of innovation has to do with the culture of, of a company 
and the culture of maybe also the country it's in. Do you agree? How would you assess that? Absolutely agree. And you know, I come from uh, Israel. Israel is well known as the startup nation. And in that respect, uh, I think uh, many of uh, our cultural uh, or national uh, uh, cultural traits uh, translate into cultural traits uh, that organizationally uh, contribute uh, to innovation and for companies being more able than others to uh, uh, produce uh, innovative products and services. Mm. I can give you a few examples of such cultural traits. So one thing, and very, very true in Israel, disobey your superiors. Like, uh, you know, hierarchy is not the most important thing. Why is that important? Because if you as a manager are, are willing to accept the fact that your uh, subordinates are telling you that you are wrong, we should think of it from another angle, there is maybe another thing to consider, etc. This debate actually breeds a lot of discussion and uh, sort of fertilizes the innovation. So this is one thing. The other thing is understanding that uh, failure is part of the learning process. Let, let me repeat this sentence because I think it's critical. Mm. Failure is part of the learning process and it's okay to fail. This uh, encourages companies and individuals within companies to uh, take risk. And without risk taking, you won't be able uh, to innovate. Uh, you know, in some cultures, like, you know, the Japanese, they commit harakiri if they fail. And other cultures, you know, uh, it, it, it's really, you know, you, you are ashamed of being, uh, of failing. In many Israeli companies that are one of most of the most innovative ones, it's okay to try something in, uh, uh, you know, failing it. We have so many entrepreneurs putting in their CVs. Yeah, I've been in this startup, closed. This startup, closed. This, and okay. then... You know, they succeed because they have been there and they took risk. I have one third thing that I want to add in that respect. Being able to correctly um, combine individualism, meaning being taking a proactive action, etc., but also collectivism, meaning learn how to collaborate with your team mm -hmm. members because always the team's uh, combined efforts are stronger from the yeah. single contribution of each and every one of us. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. You were talking about that, and uh, I remember speaking with a friend of mine who said, who was working in a, in a startup, and, and, and the boss, the CEO, would say, if you're going to screw up, screw up cheap. But don't be... <laughs> But don't be afraid of screwing up, right? Because that's part of the of the whole process. And 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 I think accountability sometimes as well is is a cultural uh, value that 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 sometimes is heavier in some cultures. And I think in Latin cultures, from my experience, sometimes people have a problem with taking accountability when something goes wrong, and you you lose opportunities to innovate because people are scared of taking that risk, right? Absolutely, I, I agree. Uh... It's taking risks, but also being accountable. Yeah, it failed because I did not yeah. consider X, Y, Z. Yeah, and that's okay. I can, I, I will, I'm willing to continue and maybe fix my mistake, maybe go elsewhere. Um, it, it is something that you know. Uh, I, I can think of many national cultures. You are right about Latin America. Also, I think in Asia, some of Central Europe cultures, where it's very, very difficult to to let go to to understand that. Uh, it's okay to make mistakes, it's okay mm -hmm. to fail, the reward will come at some point. Yeah, I, I noticed that here. I mean, 
Portugal, Spain, France, Latin European countries as well. I had an opportunity to, to live and work in the States, live and work in the UK, in Switzerland. And in these environments, I saw there was more of an openness to go for it, even if it don't get the 100% that you're looking for, rather than wait, wait, wait for someone to, you know, make a last minute decision that then ends up being a reactive decision rather than a proactive decision. So tell us about this, this culture of, of innovation and, and how you feel it can allow companies to be, and I, I guess here is, is agile as way, a, a, a word, even though they're big companies sometimes, which you mentioned Apple, you mentioned Google, these are huge companies. And I mean, we could use the AI example now for, for a new product and a new wave where companies also were trying to adjust, right? So even these big companies. So what, is that, what does that successful culture of innovation look like regardless of the size of the company? You know, it uh, mainly gives the individual uh, the, the space to take initiative uh, on the one hand, but on the other, also be able to leverage on the corporate uh, resources, be it uh, financial resources or human capital, to uh, come up with new innovations. So I'll give you a few examples. Uh, so for instance, uh, Google give uh, their employees one day a week, so one out of five days, where they can work on any project they'd like to work. And they can do what they, basically whatever they'd like on this, on this day. Okay. And if this idea will be uh, conceived as successful, as profitable, etc., uh, Google will go with this uh, uh, individual and maybe open a uh, you know a spin-off, a subsidiary, something, and he, he can he or she can manage this. Mm -hmm. So some of Google's uh, products, like uh, Gmail, came up from something like that. By the way, this uh, uh, way of uh, fostering innovation is not Google's idea. Uh, there is a company that. I assume all of us know uh, 3M, uh, stick it, yeah, post it, yeah, we know. Uh, so they have more than 60,000 uh, uh, products and they use this strategy for many, many, many years now. Microsoft, on the other hand, for example, are doing something else. In Microsoft, uh, not only they are encouraging, you know, uh, startups to come to accelerators within uh, Microsoft, which is their way to tap into, you know, the wisdom of entrepreneurs, etc., but they also encourage employees to come up with startup initiatives and to shop within the corporation on a division, a unit, something that will want to sponsor their ideas. And in, in that way, they kind of uh, uh, virtualize uh, within corporation uh, entrepreneurship, which, what we call entrepreneurship, which in my view is uh, as important, at least maybe sometimes more important than entrepreneurship. Mm. What about d diversification? Because I know, I know obviously that's another area of expertise and we've seen so many, and I'm thinking about retail companies, many times uh, uh, being able to diversify where they're selling t-shirts, then they're selling perfume, then they're selling watches, then they're selling. So what are some examples that you have seen within the business and I mean retail business maybe, or multinational companies that have diversified in a, in a, in a proactive and, and successful way. So actually, first I want to bring in international diversification okay. in that respect, because many of the large corporations uh, diversify internationally, understanding that uh, there are centers of excellence or knowledge reservoirs that are very, very different between countries. I think only in Israel there are more than 500 research and development units 
of uh, wow. multinational corporations. Okay. And why are they coming here? Some of these companies are very innovative. You know, Google is innovative enough without having Israel. And so is uh, uh, Microsoft and Intel and Samsung, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they understand there is some kind of different uh, knowledge created in Israel. For instance, because of the special uh, geopolitical, uh, geopolitical situation in Israel, we are strong in cyber, we are strong in homeland security, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But this, come, you know, this brings yeah. different types of uh, knowledge into the cooperation, which can be used elsewhere. So this is one thing. I will give you another example. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, you know, Intel, uh, which used to be leading in semiconductor uh, production, sort of lost uh, dominance in the last few years for, for many reasons. One of them is, you know, not uh, anticipating the mobile revolution and the fact that mm -hmm. many of the uh, chips we are buying, the, the processors will be for mobile phones. They are trying to compensate for that. For instance, they have diversified into autonomous cars. They have acquired a company called Mobileye, which has, a, which is a leading company in terms of, you know, driver-assistant uh, technologies, mm -hmm. which at, 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 at its peak, it will be autonomous driving. This is Intel's way through diversification mm -hmm. to come up with new growth engines that help it uh, uh, become uh, more innovative. I, I, you know, Google now is not only the search engine that we know. Google is, has now, you know, also activity in autonomous cars. Uh, they have a Verily, which is about digital health. They have activity that relates to, uh, you know, smart houses, smart cities. So in, in, in many, many aspects, uh, you go to different business areas where their, your knowledge first can be exploited a bit differently. Mm -hmm. But still, it has to be somehow, this is an important thing. If you, you know, you do t-shirts and you go to, I don't know, uh, uh, AI, probably the relationship will be yeah. quite loose. You need yeah. to create some connection, some relatedness between your areas. And this will help you combine uh, pieces of knowledge from different businesses to become overall more innovative and to span uh, growth engines. I wanted to ask your opinion on on uh, on the the processes and the structure of companies which are normally successful at innovation. I mean, what do they look like? Because traditionally, when it comes to a board or a board supporting a, a CEO, uh, we know that especially with with companies that that have been uh, 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 successful for a long time, there are a lot of influences from political influences from, from members of the board, obviously that can make the process of innovation uh, 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 harder to reach, let's say. Uh, from, your, from your example, if, if I were going to come to you as a CEO of a long-standing traditional family business that has been successful, um, but needs to innovate, what kind, of, what, kind of, what kind of advice would you give me on the processes, on the structure that I need maybe to reformulate or recreate in order to allow that innovation to happen and not be filtered too much by the political interests that there could be around me. Yeah, so to a large, large extent, he's embracing the corporate culture the, that I mentioned earlier on. Yeah. Embrace a culture, a corporate culture of risk-taking. Embrace a culture where debate and discussions, open discussions between uh, top level managers and you know programmers etc 
are something that uh, I welcome. Embrace group work, embrace individual uh, uh, activity, uh, increase diversity. Like this is something extremely important because we know that diversity, which can be achieved through international diversification, but it can be achieved through having more women right. in the company, people from different origin, et cetera, et cetera. Diversity breeds innovation, we know it. Create shortcut mechanisms. Let me give you an example. So for instance, in uh, Nike, they uh, encourage uh, employees to group you know, informally, so it can be me, an engineer from one division, uh, joining forces with some marketing people from another uh, division, and I don't know, some technician from another place. And we come up with an initiative, and they have this channel that allows you to uh, go directly to the top management with their uh, uh, initiatives. Of course, not every initiative will be accepted, but the fact that you have this uh, channel, mm. which you know cross-cuts all the levels of hierarchy, and I have several... Uh, research studies that show that hierarchy has advantages, but it can also, you know, sort of uh, suppress uh, innovation because you need to go through the levels of bureaucracy and, you know, it starts with a good idea and somebody kills it in the middle. But yeah. these shortcuts, for instance, are something that uh, are really helping uh, Nike to, to to come up every time with some great idea. Yeah. Um, we've talked about what needs to happen in order for innovation to have an opportunity of being implemented in, uh, in, in, in the structure of a company and what some of those success paths are. Um, when do you think, is there a danger for there to be innovation just for innovation's sake and just moving on from products or processes that have been successful too early? Yeah, it's, it's a good point. I think one of the main challenges of companies is to know how to uh, manage uh, different uh, technological generations, different technological innovations. You can do it too slowly because then some of your partners will uh, bypass you. You mm -hmm. can do it too quickly because, you know, if the uh, uh, whole purpose of innovation is to create more value in the sense of are there uh, increasing the utility to customers, to paying customers or decreasing your costs, you don't, you know, once you created something like that, you don't want to, to destroy it. So this can happen. Uh, I, I don't have a recipe uh, book for that, but, uh, hmm. you know, companies should be, uh, for instance, uh, uh, cautious not to disperse R&D activity too thin uh, or not to uh, allow autonomy too much because then at the end of the day, you know, you are limited in your financial resources, you are limited in your human resources. Once you cut uh, uh, your, uh, uh, when you start to separate your uh, efforts towards many, many uh, uh, directions, you can become defocused. I, I gave you the example of 3M earlier on. Yeah. At some point at 3M, uh, you know, they have uh, decentralized research and development uh, operations, and they uh, discovered that we are really decentralizing it too much. Let's try to, you know, uh, do something that is more uh, uh, integrated, that we can control it for more. So, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I always say that management is the most complex uh, profession because we don't yeah. have... Uh, a, a recipe or a code book to give managers, but these should be the considerations. How are we encouraging our employees to take risks? Because it's important, 
but of course it's it cannot be taking more and more and uh, uh, nonsensical risk because at some point you know failing too much will lead the company <laughs> yeah. to fail. Of course, of course, and, so and it's it's a question of uh, you know really being finding the the uh, golden way between these things that really translate into something that uh, is uh, conductive. And, and obviously, because of your work and because of your position, you're obviously exposed to a lot of trends when it comes to to innovation. And, and when you travel and collaborate with some of the international universities that, that you work with, what are some of the trends that you're observing now? And what's some of the content that you're sharing with, with students around around the world that, that, that you think it would be valuable to share with us? So, uh... I think to a large extent, uh, uh, it is the ability to think uh, to think differently from a current mainstream, but not going too far from uh, something that is happening. So. Uh, you know what we need we we see now a whole uh, discussion about ai and how it's going to change the whole uh, human race and all this uh, stuff and uh, clearly uh, ai is something that uh, we can use and there is lots of uh, room for innovation etc uh, and uh, what i would encourage my students for in that in that respect mm -hmm. for instance is okay it is a tool we have seen tools before it has its pros and cons Let's use it in a sensible way that will allow you to build on what you know and make it something that makes you better. But don't use it as in a way that is completely opposite to what you've done uh, up till now. Forget everything that you did. This will uh, help you uh, 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 make something that is meaningful out of it. Uh, in, in many respects, everything that you know, I would I would call it uh, related diversification related innovation something that can build on past knowledge but change it somehow uh, is probably more promising than mm -hmm. going into uh, any radical change I, in our uh, literature for instance we have this distinction between exploitation meaning incremental improvements and exploration meaning uh, coming up with uh, something that is uh, brand new and what uh, we always uh, teach and encourage uh, managers is to choose ambidexterity. What is ambidexterity? Try to combine both. You have to have some really radical project that's good, but also have these incremental Core innovation yeah. projects that will help you. Don't go, if, if you do only incremental, you are probably will fail and stay behind. If you do only radical, it's too risky. Now try to combine them. You can combine them over time, sometimes do this, sometimes do that. You can combine them in your portfolio. You mentioned diversification. Some really, really innovative projects, some incrementally innovative, mm -hmm. but try to keep on keep the balance. Finally, um, how can companies measure the success of their innovation efforts? You know, what kind of metrics should be put in place to, to evaluate the value of what has been created? At the end of the day, you know, we need to distinguish between short-term and long-term uh, uh, metrics. So uh, short-term would probably be, and, and then it depends, uh, patents, patent application can be a good measure, new product introduction. But 
this is kind of a short term that allows you to see what uh, a company innovation looks like. But I think for a longer term, it would be much more interesting to look, um, you know, uh, sales growth uh, on profitability of uh, specific products that are based on innovation. Uh, so first, as I said earlier, it shouldn't never be innovation for the sake of innovation, but there are things that we can look at in the, in the short term. Yeah, we, we cannot expect a product, new product to be profitable from day one. But if we see that we are increasing our pipeline of products, probably this is a good sign. Something will happen. Uh, and then after a while, we also want to start seeing uh, profits uh, that uh, are uh, generating. Again, we all, everything boils down to this. I'm creating great, a, a difference between the utility that my products and services create and my costs, which allow me to be profitable. I cannot create utility, but being very, very costly, or if I'm efficient and creating low utility, this will not be good. So we should combine the two. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so we're going to wrap up this conversation with a series of uh, four quick fire questions, okay, that we ask all our guests. Yeah, it's a surprise. Um, and uh, they're, what I would like is for you to answer in one word or in one sentence, okay? So, um, and they're, they're, they're general, so it's not, I'm not going to ask you any, uh, you know, difficult history questions here or anything like that. Um, the first one is, what, what is one personality trait that a good leader could really benefit from having and why? willing to uh, accept uh, criticism okay and why because if you are open to that you will become a better manager and uh, if you are not uh, allowing this uh, environment to be there mm. you will be very lonely at the top making mm. your own mistakes until you fall mm. what is the biggest challenge in your opinion that humanity that humanity is facing today uh, global warming yeah, that is, that is quite a, a popular answer, and it, it's easy to see why. Uh, if you could change one thing in the world today by, by magic, what, what would that be? What would you, what would you change? Um, so my second uh, answer to global warming was uh, the fact that I think uh, the social networks are really making uh, us mm. polarized. Mm. If I could change something is... Uh, making uh, us less polarized. I see, we see in so many countries, mm. crazy polarization where, uh, you know, folks are uh, sunk into their mm. echo chambers, believing that mm. everybody thinks like mm. them. And this is really threatening democracy. You know, I have a friend who told me once that democracies won't survive social networks. Mm. Well, sometimes I think he's right. That, that was a lot longer than one word, but I'm glad, I'm glad you, you gave that longer answer because it's such an important point. I mean, it's kind of a topic for a different show, really. Uh, yeah. But it is, it is, because it, 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 it's crazy what's happening now and, and how little people are exposed to deferring opinions and, and, and how uh, opinions are also more important than facts these days, you know, which, which is so, so dangerous. Um, last question, what is the most important learning of your life and career? Wow. What's the most uh, important uh, thing you've learned? Always know that uh, you don't know enough about something. Like, uh, as much as you think that you're an mm. expert, there is always something you can 
learn more, improve, be better. So that's, I think, uh, yeah. out of my mentality always. Yeah, I know a lot about many things with which I research, etc. But yeah, it's I have more to know. <laughs> I, I understand. Uh, Niron, thank you so much for joining us on uh, on our show. It's not that simple. And for adding so much uh, uh, insight and expertise into this topic of innovation. And I think, I think it's really been valuable content for, for anyone who's been in a, in, a, in a management position, who's been in a structure where decisions are made. I certainly find it valuable as a business owner myself. So thanks a lot for that and, and continued success. Thanks for having me. It's Not That Simple is a podcast from Fundação Francisco Manuel dos Santos. Tune in every month at ffms.pt or subscribe on the usual platforms.